if all of these signs, as I call it, keep coming in front of your eyes, those signs are there for a reason. We're meant to be collective energies that help each other. I always seek permission to voice my opinion. You don't need to seek that permission. Placing the stories you're telling yourself, the negative stories you're telling yourself with what your intuition is telling you, just that replacement in itself will go a long, long way. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the show. I hope that you are doing well. I'm Jess. I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a women's leadership and career coach, and I also work in the corporate nine-to-five world. And it's so good to be here. And I'm so glad that you're listening. And I'm especially glad that you're listening to this interview because this one, a lot of interviews do this, but this one really transported me to another happier place. And today's guest, um, she's a podcast host. She has an incredible podcast called Sharing Life Lessons. And she's also a professional who's built a really successful career in the finance industry. And it was so much fun to talk with her. And we talked a lot about all of the different struggles that come up through one's career. Probably one of my favorite things that we talked about that you'll hear us chat about is how to manage your self-criticism and how to manage those voices in your head that come up every now and then, or if you're like me, that come up a lot. She shares some really fantastic advice. We talk about mentorship. We talk about trust in the unfolding of your career path. This is a really fantastic interview, and I strongly encourage you to check out Hamida's podcast. She is such a wonderful interviewer and podcast host and just such a talented content creator. And I've been a guest on her show, so you can check out my episode if you're interested, but they're all really fantastic. And I'll link it below so you can take a look. Before I dive in, quick announcement. If you've been listening to the episodes from last week, you know that I recently officially launched my private coaching practice. And if you're interested in working with me and you're listening to this show, this episode, the week that it comes out, I want to let you know that if you apply for coaching before the 15th of January, in addition to the coaching package that you'll get for your one-on-one coaching with me, you'll also get an invitation to two bonus trainings that I'm going to be doing for clients who are signing up between now and January 15th. The first bonus workshop you'll get is called Leading Meetings with Confidence, and I'm going to share some of the tools you need that will help you feel strong and confident leading meetings, will help you manage stage fright, will help you learn to project authority when you're sharing your work with a room full of people. Obviously, super important, especially if you work in the nine to five space. And the second bonus workshop that you'll get invited to is called Participating in Meetings with Confidence. And 
being an active participant in meetings is actually a really important way to develop your reputation as a powerful contributor and a powerful thought leader. And I know it can sometimes feel intimidating or hard to get a word in in meetings. And I'm going to share some tools to help you make a really strong impression when you're in a meeting and you're trying to have a voice and trying to participate. So if you're interested in working with me and if you want to get an invitation to these workshops, all you have to do is make sure to get your application into Coach With Me by the 15th of this month. And you can learn much more about my coaching and what it's like to work with me on my website, jessguzzitcoaching.com, which I will link below. And now it is time to get into this amazing conversation. I'm really looking forward to you hearing it. I hope that you enjoy it. And let's meet Hamida. First of all, Jessica, thank you so much for having me on the show. I am excited to be here. My name is Hamida Tanawala, and I am a financial executive, have been in the financial world for over 20 years, love the space, and I currently have, it's, it's, it's been a very interesting and exciting journey. Currently, I am an entrepreneur with my own consulting firm, and I focus on risk and regulatory aspects of financial institutions. But it took me 20 years to come here. And that's where the whole interesting part of the story is, because I started off only as an associate at UBS in risk management. And then I went on to being at Citibank during the, the, the crisis of 2008, the financial crisis of 2008, which really was a big learning experience for me, which then pushed me to go on to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, where I was a senior bank examiner for regulatory purposes. Then I went on to Ernst & Young as a management consultant and once I went there and I knew how to sell, which is what it taught me, I just decided to start my own consulting firm. And so here I am. Oh, you have such a rich journey. I am so excited. And so I want to first go into the very beginning. And if we go back to your first position that you held, what was difficult for you at that time? So let me give you some background on that first job as well, because it has a big background. When I tell people I have a degree in hospitality management and that currently I'm working in the financial industry, they're like, where is the connection? All right, let me draw the connection for you. I did my bachelor's in hospitality management because I am a people's person and I wanted to be in the hospitality industry. I worked in the hospitality industry for four years in a hotel management company, loved it. The management company was managing hotels in four different locations, one being the Bahamas. And I'm talking about the 1990s, so I'm dating myself. But love to go to the Bahamas. And and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the job. But then came the Kuwait war with Senior Bush, if you remember. And it's surprising. I You know, I'm just thinking about this. The hospitality industry is not doing very well right now. And it was tanking then. So I think this is the second wave for the hospitality industry. But the first was when we had the Kuwait war, the hospitality industry was tanking. I could see the writing on the wall. And I started doing my MBA because I started doing my MBA majoring in finance, which is why I started a temp job at Swiss Bank. And via that temp job, I got my permanent position 
at Swiss Bank, which then merged with UBS. And I'm telling you this whole story because I wasn't destined to be or hadn't even planned to be in the financial industry. Life just put me there. And it's all about going with the flow. If I had just said that I love the hospitality industry, which I did, I'm having so much fun here, which I did, and I just want to continue here. I never want to leave it. I would not have been where I am right now. And so letting life lead you, allowing life to lead me is actually what put me into my first job uh, in the financial industry, which actually looking back, I'm very happy about. It's so interesting because as you were talking about that, I was thinking a very similar thing about how a lot of times what we find in our career that we enjoy happens by accident or something happens by chance. And I think it's important to remember that because it can be stressful to not know or have uncertainty or like maybe you interview for a job and you don't get it. And when you're in those moments, it's so hard to keep the faith and like hold the vision that there is going to be a moment where things start to shift and a new door opens up for you. Totally. And just being aware that that is a phenomena that happens in life is so valuable because if all of these signs, as I call it, keep coming in front of your eyes and you do not see them as signs, then obviously you're not going to be able to go down that path. But but those signs are there for a reason. So yeah, the, the lesson out of this is if you're aware and you can just spot those signs, then believe that things will take you where you're supposed to go. I love that so much. And it also reminds me of when I was struggling, I could only see negative signs and I could only spot negative things. And this is so important what you're saying, because we can change our level of openness and optimism. Like that is something that we can do. And I I guess I'd want to ask you if like you've ever had to shift from being in like a negative space where everything looks like it's not working to force yourself to see it differently. Oh, totally. Yes. Um, Let me take you to the financial crisis, which was nothing but negative. I was at Citibank at the time. I was the um, senior risk manager for structured products. And when I say that, some people may not know what structured products are. So that is everything that brought the house down. It's the the residential mortgage-backed securities and the collateralized debt obligations. That is what was the crux. If you remember, if you go back to 2008 and the stories you heard in the news, it's about how the residential mortgages were being given to those with very low FICO stroke scores by banks just to make the money, which is all true. That is exactly what happened. I was on the risk management side side of it. And so uh, me and my team were taking the brunt of all of this. And just to give you some transparency into what occurred during that time is the risk management. And this happened at every bank. It's not only cities. I'm not singling that out. But the risk management team kept telling the managers that, look, the train is coming down too fast. And we see too many residential mortgage-backed securities that we see of substandard quality. And so let's do something about slowing this down. And senior management in all the banks said, but the rewards far outweigh the risk. And so, no, we should continue doing what we are because look at the benefits we are reaping from it. And then obviously the train just collapsed, right? So 
when the train collapsed, as much as risk management could keep saying, we told you so, we told you so, but that wasn't the time to do that. You just had to be part of the team and you just had to really not listen to every negativity that came away. Because at the end of the day, everything came to the risk management folks and said, why did you not do anything about it? You are the risk managers, right? Not knowing that it was already done. And so there was a lot of negativity. And at that point in time, you just had to look ahead, not behind. You just had to look ahead and say, okay, how can I now turn this around? What can I do that can turn this around? And so came all of the training and all of the reporting that we did in a way that could show senior manager, well, manager management, hey, look, this is where all the exposure is. It's done. You have the exposure. Nothing you can do about it. How are you going to minimize it? And that's how you had the positive spin on everything that was going negative. And hopefully, and actually, we were able to save the firm a lot of money by just seeing what we can do in order to minimize that exposure. And I want to now ask you about confidence, one of my favorite topics. And I guess the way that I'll open this or start this is if you think about your confidence at the very beginning of your career and maybe your confidence now, what, how is it different? What has changed? Okay, that's a very interesting question, Jessica, because, uh, okay, so people can't see me. You can only hear me. I am this petite Asian woman immigrated from India. My confidence level at first was minimal. And it was minimal because of just our culture. Um, Fortunately, my parents were very liberal. And they always taught me that there is nothing in the world that you can do that men can do. But very few people got that when they were growing up. So when I came here, obviously, this being such such a society led by men at that time, and not in a way that was inclusive. Even now, I mean, yes, it's getting much, much better with the next generation, but we we still have a long ways to go with that. So we it was it was infested by male leaders who were not very inclusive, who were mostly many were, but many were not. Many were, it's my way or the highway. And so you were not able to voice your concern. You were not able to voice your opinion. You were not able to be yourself at work. You were always had to look over your shoulders and say, is anyone watching? And am I doing anything wrong? And am I going to uh, bear the negative consequences of that? Which should not be the case. But fortunately for me, I just found really good managers along the way who believed in me and who mentored me and who took me along with them. And to do that, you really have to earn it, right? It's like you can demand respect, you have to earn respect. And you just have to earn that. And if you do, and when you do, I think most people know that up there, if you're going by yourself, it's lonely, you do need to get people along with you. And hopefully you're one of the few or many that they will take along with them. Having a good manager who you feel like you can trust, trust is huge between manager and their report, and also who makes you feel excited and inspired and motivated. For me, that's been everything. Absolutely. And and then to your question of confidence also, yes, you you need people, you need great mentors, like you said, uh, and I truly believe in that. But you also then have to work hard to be able to 
make sure that you get so good at what you're doing that your managers have no way but to rely on you for what you're doing, right? And that's exactly where the give and the take happens. It's you you are great at it. Your manager knows that they can rely on you. They look at you for anytime they are in deep waters and need to get out and you help them get out of it. And then you get the next better assignment. And then you get the next better assignment. And when that happens, what happens to your confidence? It has to just rise because you're just doing these challenging assignments and you're succeeding at them. And even if you're not succeeding them at first, here's another very important thing to remember that not everything you touch will turn into gold. You will fail at times. But again, it's that turning that negative into positive. All right, I have failed for a reason. What is that reason? What am I learning from it? What is it trying to teach me? What can I do better next time? And then when you take that failure as a lesson and then do what you're and learn from it and then do different things and try different things the next time, you have to be succeeding. And, And all of that will show in your work where your managers will see that. And it has to be great for your confidence level. So yes, a big difference from when I started off and where I am right now. That made me think about also how you know, you can be really good at executing what you do. But there's also on top of that, being able to voice your opinion, be vocal. It's sort of the part that you can't, you can't get through that part by just working harder. Like you do just have to get past some of your fears. Because if you stay in the pattern of only doing hard work, but then you never become more of a strong voice, I feel like you can miss out on opportunities to get credit and to get recognized. So I'm curious if you ever felt like you either struggled to get your voice out there, or if it's something that you've seen in other women, what your thoughts are on that? Sure. So let me talk about the present and then I'll tell you about the past. So currently, if I am working with my team, and I know many of my colleagues do that as well, it is very easy to spot an issue in what you're doing. It's very easy to spot a problem, right? So if there's a project you're doing and you see something's not going right, it's very easy to spot that because you can see you can see the, the pattern and you can see that this is not going the way it should. And I always tell my team members, if you are pointing out to me that something is going wrong, believe you me, I already know that because I can see it too. What I need from you is the solution. So please come to me. If you're coming to me with a problem, come to me with a solution as well. And that's where the real voicing your opinion and it comes into play. And what I'm also telling everyone is I didn't do that when I was starting off. I always seeked permission to voice my opinion. You don't need to seek that permission. I, I, I learned it the hard way. You don't need to ask for permission. You don't need that. If you start voicing your solutions, your opinions, again, that will be recognized because that's what the managers want. They have so much on their plate. By you just adding to their plate by only taking your problems to them is not going to help. So all, what you need to do is try and get stuff off their plate. And the best way to do that is by letting someone know right off the bat what you think is wrong, why it is wrong, and how you think we can change that. 
I relate to that so much and I really relate to waiting for permission. I think it is so easy to fall into that mindset. And one thing that I would add on to that too is that the solutions don't have to be perfect, Mm -hmm. right? Because then I think there can be pressure of like, well, I don't know the solution. And it's like, no, 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 no. Just, Just try, just start, just brainstorm and allow yourself space because sometimes the start of a solution is enough to build on, you know, versus like, I think sometimes if someone has perfectionist tendencies, or like, they're a little bit type A, it's like, well, I now I have to solve the whole thing. And it's like, just think a couple steps ahead, like, what is your manager going to ask you when you surface the problem? And then, okay, how can you get ahead and answer that? Very true. And also, I agree. And, and, and also, maybe don't it's not even, oh, now I'm now that I'm giving the solution, I'll have to go and execute it. It's bringing the solution to the table in a meeting where you can, at least it can be a discussion starter. You know, you start the conversation. You say, here's the problem. How about this? And then someone else is going to say, okay, that's good. But how about this also, right? So at least a conversation starter with that. And then the whole team is not only talking about the problem, but they're rather you've moved them from talking about the problem to talking about the solutions. Yeah. Right? And then as a team, you all come up with the best solution and see how to best execute it. So you sometimes just need that discussion starter. Yeah. And getting out of the black and white thinking of like, well, there's one way and yeah. it's either right or wrong. I think that's so harmful. And I think what you're saying is really bringing to the surface that there are many paths forward and it's about simply picking a path that looks good and looks like it could work. Absolutely. And I want to talk a little bit more about, I guess, inner worlds and thought patterns and kind of like the inner critic and learning to manage that over time. As you progressed in your career and experienced success, did you relate differently to some of your thought patterns? And did you have things that you were able to let go of over time? Yes. Yes. And I know many call that monkey chatter in your head, and we all have that. I thought all of my monkey chatter in the beginning was really the impetus to self-doubt. Every time I heard negative thoughts in my head, it then escalated to becoming self-doubt. And the more self-doubt I had, the more fearful I was. And the more fearful I was, the less effective my work was. And, you know, I'm just telling you this so that you can see how we are going down south with everything that we are thinking about and doing. And it's all because that one negative thought that came to your mind and you believed it and you heard it, right? Very, very easy to fall into that path of listening to it and then going negative. And at first, I must honestly tell you that I didn't know how to control it. And I didn't know how to change that. And I was a victim of it many a times. But now, looking back, I feel over the years, I have come to realize, and see, these are good discussions to have because we didn't have anyone talking about this before, right? So now the fact that you're even asking me that question is that there is that awareness of, yes, there is monkey chatter, and you have to do something about that. But in my times, no one talked to me about it and told me I need to do something about it. So right now, I learned about it or how to deal with it through the years, I have come to realize what is 
a thought that I am thinking and what is a thought that I am receiving. So the thought that you're thinking that is negative, if you can just be aware that that's your made up thought, that's a story you're telling yourself, right? Versus the thought that I'm receiving and another word for that is intuition. Mm. I've come to realize what is my negative thoughts that I'm, the story that I'm telling myself versus what is the intuition. And intuition is always there. Your inner self is always working to tell you, to show you the path of, you want to call that the right path, the path of least resistance, the path of this is where you need to go to be able to solve your issues or problems that you're facing right now. If you can just differentiate between those two and go with your intuition, that will actually automatically take you off. So you're replacing the stories you're telling yourself, the negative stories you're telling yourself with what your intuition is telling you. Just that replacement in itself will go a long, long way. Oh my gosh. This, yeah, I love this topic so much. I so strongly relate to everything you just said. And it's so fascinating because when you try to take the negative thoughts and create a little bit of space and say like, okay, like these are happening, but I do I really want to listen? Sometimes for me, and I think for other people too, that can trigger them to get louder. You know, there's like resistance mm-hmm. and it, you really have to be strong and solid with yourself, especially when you're first learning to go away from that and towards your intuition. And so it's this process that requires trust and it requires resilience and you have to do it long enough to then see that it is working, your intuition is correct, your negative thoughts are not right, you know, and but before you have that proof, you just have to believe. And you just have to have some blind faith that like, you know, all of these self deprecating stories aren't true, and that you are capable, you are strong, you are all of these things. Yeah. And and that's why it's so important to talk about it, right, Jessica, because if If we don't, then somebody else is going to take the 10 years that I took (laughs) to learn about it. And that, you know, if you, if you have the content and you have, why are you re-spinning the wheel? Just take what other people have learned from their lives and just adopt them. And like you said, just believe that at some point you will be able to tell and hopefully it won't take as long because now you're already aware that at some point you will be able to differentiate between the two and know how to follow your intuition. I love that so much. And it not only makes you more effective, it reduces your stress level. So it, it brings in joy also, which is so important. Yeah, just be, ha- be, be happy is my mantra. <laughs> it's such a good one. And we talked a little bit about this, but I want to get your thoughts on someone becoming a leader and seeing themselves as a leader and a thought leader, but maybe feeling like they don't have the tenure or the title because I know that's a big thing of being, you know, one of the less experienced people in the meeting room or being newer in your company or whatever the situation might may, might be. What does leadership and thought leadership look like when you don't have the stereotypical title that you think of as making you a leader? If you have something to say which you think will make a difference in how things are going in your company, you ought to say it. Now, I understand your question about not having the tenure. If you don't have the tenure and you are uncomfortable with talking about it in a meeting with many people, you can obviously talk to your manager 
and let them know that this is what you're thinking and how it's going to help. But also you can't be doing that forever. At some point, you have to get confident about doing this in public, right? You have to be because unless you don't do that, you're going to probably be stuck where you are because it's people who are able to voice their thoughts, their knowledge, their expertise, even if it is against what the majority is saying. If you're able to do that, then people will know that you have those leadership qualities because that is what is needed in a leader. So at the beginning, you don't have to put yourself out there if you don't want to. There are steps you can take to finally find the courage to do that. And some of the steps are talk one-on-one to your manager. If your manager is not someone who you relate to very well, find that mentor. Tell them how you feel. Okay, so the relationship with your mentor, really, if you do not have a very honest and cannot have a very honest relationship with your mentor, then you don't have the right mentor. Your mentor should be more like your, um, if anyone's gone to a counselor, you sit at the counselor's couch and you blurt everything out, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, because that's what the session is supposed to be about, right? It's just taking it all out. That's what you can do with your mentor if you have the right relationship. Tell them about your fears. Tell them about why you can't speak out. Is it because you feel like you're going to be viewed a certain way? Is it because your leaders or managers are not receptive to that? And again, you know, there are solutions to all of that, which your mentor hopefully will hold your hand and take you through that. So managers, mentors, Peers, use your peers. If you see someone who is able to voice their opinions and their knowledge and their expertise, become friends with them. See how they will they can influence you. And and you know, if you can be open with them and say, Hey, I like this quality from you, I'm gonna try and learn it from you. And if they're open enough, then that's a great relationship to have. So use the resources around you because there are plenty. Mm-hmm. And if nothing works internally, find an external coach, find an external mentor, see if you can take any classes that can help you because right now there are so many that can actually help you frame your opinions in a way where you feel confident about talking about them. What you said also about honesty really resonated with me because I know that I have had this pattern and it's felt really good to shed it, but sort of like feeling like I need to be perfect for everyone, including my mentor or including my coach or whoever is supporting me. And the more honest and vulnerable that you can be, the more you can grow. But that being said, not everyone necessarily deserves your honesty. But when you find a safe space and you find someone who really makes you feel seen and not judged and you feel okay to share, I I don't know about you, but I have found that so powerful when you share something that you're like embarrassed about or struggling with and the person just supports you and there's like, there's nothing wrong with you. And they're just there to help you work through it. You're like, oh, I like, I'm not broken. Like, this is going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah, no, I have, I have totally found that as both a mentee and a mentor. As a mentor, if I don't know what I'm helping you with, if you're not telling me honestly what help you need, then I'm not able to support you and I'm not able to fulfill my mentor role. And that makes me feel less of a mentor than I can be. So yes, honesty is very important. And even as a mentee, you're right. So two types of mentors, one where I was 
very confident that whatever I tell them, they are not going to change their opinion of, of me because they already know who I am. And they're only going to help me with the issues that I'm facing is the mentors I could be very open to and they were able to support and help me all along. But there were times where I had mentors where I did not feel like I could be, like you said, I, you know, I didn't have that safe space. And so I used them for different purposes. So what I'm, what I'm also saying here is you need not get stuck with one mentor. You need not have just one mentor. You can have several mentors that you use for several different things. So I have been able to leverage mentorship relationships. One one mentor for my only my technical knowledge, he was so good in the field that I worked in that anytime I needed technical support, like how do I think about this? Here's the problem, technical problem I'm facing. What do you mean by collateralized debt obligations do not give collateral to the banks that they have swaps with. What does that mean, <laughs> right? He knew. He told me exactly what it mean and how to look at it. But that was his only purpose. That's all I used him for. But then I had <laughs> other mentor who was my soft skill mentor. And every time I had this big presentation, I would just reach out to him and I just had to hear that few words of encouragement from him. And I was golden. I could go and make that presentation. So don't get stuck to one mentor. See who will give you that safe space to be vulnerable and who will be able to help you with that. But there are others who just don't know how to help you with those kinds of mushy things and may not be the right mentors for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had situations where I shared something and then I kind of regretted it after and that person didn't have the capacity to hold that and be with that. And that's fine. That happens. And then you kind of learn and recover. But I think it's important for us, especially as women, I think sometimes we feel so much pressure to show up so perfect. And I think we need to have spaces where we can show up very messy and we can just release that because we already feel that pressure in the workplace, at home, so many different situations. And it's so important that like your mentor or whoever your guide is, isn't just more of that, but is like truly this space where you can put all of that aside and just give yourself compassion and just room to be really flawed. We're all so imperfect and we're all so messy, you know, and we need to remember that. And we should be able to show up in the way we are, who we truly are in several spaces in our life, because otherwise we're just going down the burnout and the anxiety and the depression route. And in order for us not to do that, I so agree with you. Find those safe spaces, whether it's with friends, whether it's with family, whether it is with children, whoever it is with, your siblings, where you can just be yourself. And anytime you need to be yourself and you feel I've had enough of trying to be perfect and I just want to take that garb out and just show my true self to someone, where am I going to be able to do that? Just go to that safe space and do that. Yeah, I fully agree. It took me a really long time personally to trust that I could do that and to feel safe doing that. But then once I did, I was able to grow and develop so much faster. So fascinating. And I want to ask you to share a story that I heard you share on your podcast. I believe it was your first episode. I loved it so much. It was a story about the diamond. I, I believe it was your grandmother's story. 
Can you tell us that story? And then I'll ask you just a little bit about what it means to you. I'm so glad that you like that story because that is my favorite story from my grandmother. May her soul rest in peace. But she told me my, my nighttime routine was as soon as I put myself into pajamas and brushed my teeth, I jumped into her bed. And she would tell me these amazing stories. I don't know where she pulled them out from, but she told me these amazing stories. And then that really put me to sleep. And then she would call out to my dad and say, okay, now time for you to pick her up and take her to her bed. (laughs) So that was um, one of the stories that she told me, which actually I remember up until now, and I use it on a very daily basis, is this. There was once a jeweler, and he took this big box, which contained two stones in it. One was a real diamond and one was a duplicate glass stone, which looked exactly the same. He took it to the king and said, I want to challenge anyone in this darbar. And a darbar is more like a town hall that the king has on a regular basis, where the whole village or town or city comes together. And it's from the common men to the royal folks, everyone together. And he said, I want to challenge everyone, everyone over here to tell me which one is the real diamond and which is not the real diamond. And if the person tells me the right answer, I will give this diamond into the king's treasury. But if they don't tell me the right answer, then the king has to give me the value of that diamond. Now, the king was a playful king too, and he wanted to take up the challenge, but he added to it. And he said, if there is anyone who will do it the right way, I will, in addition, handsomely reward them. But if they don't, they would have to leave my kingdom with their family, never to return again. So everyone waited and no one wanted to take that chance. Then finally, after a while, a blind man raised his hand and asked permission from the king to take that challenge. And he got the permission. He went up to the stones and he touched both stones. And he told the jeweler, the one on the left is the diamond, the true diamond. And the jeweler, very shocked and surprised and said, yes, you're right that your answer is right. But you have to tell us how you found that out. You haven't even seen these two pieces of stone. And he said, well, here we are in the courtyard in the middle of a summer afternoon and the sun is shining upon us. I touched the first stone on the right and I felt it hot from the glare of the sun rays. But when I touched the stone on on the left, it was cool. It's not like the sun was not setting its rays on it. It was the same sun rays, but it was still very cool. And that's why I knew that was the diamond. The king was very happy. He got the diamond in his treasure. He handsomely rewarded him. And that was the end of that story. But with my grandmother, things don't end in a story. You have to learn something from them. So she goes, so Hamida, what do you want to be? Do you want to be the glass stone in life or do you want to be the real diamond in life because if you choose to go through the difficulties in life by melting and by succumbing to those difficulties then you've become the glass stone in life but if you choose to stay calm and collected and cool and take the support of friends and families who want to give you support to get you out of that difficulty then you've become the true diamond in your life. And that's the story. I love that. 
And how has that played out for you? Because when I think about like the glass that gets hot versus the diamond that stays cool, I find that to be a, so empowering of, you know, connecting back to your personal power and that sense of stability and certainty and calmness. Like that's what that really evokes for me, but I'm curious what it evokes for you and how you've brought that into your life as you've grown. See, we all are human. It's not like we don't get affected by the disasters and the calamities and the issues and the problems, big or small, that happen to us. And so they affected me in a way where I realized I was getting too involved in the problem. And I realized that I was getting heated up. And only then was I able to say, I can't let this happen to me. I want to be able to, and I am a very strong proponent of getting help when I need to. When I need to, when I can do it myself, I will. But if I realize I can do it myself, very soon I will grab help. And it could be from anywhere. It could be at work from my mentors, my peers, again, my manager, whoever it is. And my family is my parents, my my um, spouse, whoever it is that I think will be able to help me out. There's no shame in getting help. And I've learned that early on. And that's what my grandmother said too. You can never do everything by yourself. Sometimes you do need to get the help. And there are supporters out there who want to support you. I believe in that, but I also believe in giving the help. If there is someone who's reaching out to you with something that they need, especially at work, then that means that they have tried everything out themselves and they know that they cannot do it themselves. And that's why they're reaching out to you. So please be open to giving out the help to them, because that's what we are meant for. We are meant to be collective energies that help each other. And that's how I have used this story in my life, that when I feel like I'm moving towards becoming that glass stone, I check myself. And then I say, okay, what can I do to moving towards becoming the calm and collected person in this difficulty? And how can I address this face on? And if I can't do it myself, who can I ask for support from? I love that. And I think as women, that's where some of our unique superpowers lie is like the coolness Mm -hmm. and the ability to show up in tough situations and be connected to our wisdom and our values. And then from that place, figure out like you can so powerfully figure out how to get unstuck or how to move something forward. Thank you, Jessica. I'm so glad you asked me to say that because I love to say that story. I love stories and the imagery of that story. Something about it just really resonated with me. And I thought it'll for sure resonate with someone else too. So we have to cover that. Yeah. And do you mind if I tell the audience about my podcast? Please do. Because you've mentioned it. Okay. So my podcast is based on stories. It's called Sharing Life Lessons. And I interview anyone who has a story to tell from their lives, a real life story that they have learned life lessons from that they can share with everyone so that people who are in that situation don't have to go through the arduous solutions. You're already giving them the tools to come out of it and they can use those tools. And just because they're so story-based is why I'm so passionate about it. And we talk about many topics, domestic violence, mental health illness. Um, so yeah, it's called Sharing Life Lessons. What inspired you to start it? Stories. I've Okay, so I've been in this financial 
industry, which as much as I like it, because I am, I'm very good at finding solutions for issues. I just think it's not artistic at all. It does not allow me to be creative. And I wanted to use my creative side somehow. And I know that stories is a really good platform to be able to do that. And I really, this is really an ode to my grandmother because of everything that all the stories that she told me. And I know there are plenty out there. So I just wanted to see, I just wanted to try it out. And if it took off, it took off. If it didn't, it didn't. And I found fun and peace and passion in it. And so I continued. But it was just, again, an intuitive thought that I should do this on the podcast platform. I love connecting with women who have a career that's a little more on the analytical side and then also have a creative side because I think it's just sometimes I feel like one of the few people in that situation. So I really like hearing that about you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sure there are many out there, but a lot of my, I don't know about you, but like a lot of my peers are not creative types. So I don't know if you ever feel like the weirdo. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, sometimes you, over the years, because you don't practice your creative side, it kind of gets subdued, which is what I felt was happening with me. I felt like there was this creative side of me that if I don't bring it out right now, it's just going to die because I'm not practicing it, right? It's like any anything. If you don't practice it, it dies. And I just found that urge to practice it in this way. Were you creative as a young kid? I was. And my creative my creative side came out in dancing and theater. <gasps> I used to do Indian folk dances. Oh my gosh. I love dance so much. So yeah, And which I've actually, you know, right now, if you put me on stage, I'll be very happy, very happy to dance along. Uh, but I haven't been practicing it. So I knew I had to do something to be able to preserve my creative side. I very much relate to that. And I'll link your podcast below. I really enjoyed listening to you. Your show feels very warm and welcoming. As soon as I pressed play, I had all these good feelings. And I was really excited to have you on mine. Thank you so much, Jessica. Yeah, you're welcome. And with that, I'm going to pivot into the closing questions. This is actually my favorite part of the interview. And the first one is, I wanted you to maybe share a tiny moment that you experienced in your professional life, where even though it might have looked tiny on the outside, for you, it represented a moment of growth, or just you overcoming a fear, or some some form of evolution for you. That's a fun question. So when I was at Ernst & Young, I always was trying to see how we can help Again, very small segment of the population, but it was the new moms. I had been a new mom once, twice in my life, and I knew how much of a task that is balancing both work. First of all, when I became a mom, I only got 12 weeks to stay at home. These days, you can be 16 and 20 and even six months in some places. And I commend all of those companies that made those changes because that's highly required. Can you imagine pushing a child out of you and not even healing from them and then go having to go back to work? So I know those two times were a real struggle to me, not only because I had physically gone through so much, but also emotionally, I'm leaving my 12-week-old kid. And I'm for the whole day, someone who I, know, who I want to hold close to my heart every minute of the day, I'm leaving them for nine, 10 hours and going to work, right? So 
emotionally, physically, everything, it's so hard. And so I was trying to see what we can do for them. And it was a really hard sell because I was trying to create the support group amongst each other where they can talk to each other. They get time out of their work day. Their managers allow them to take time out of their work day for one hour every Thursday. That's it. That's all I was asking for. And it had not to be during lunch hour. You, you should not have to give up your lunch hour for it. Just get together and talk about your problems. Talk about your emotions. Talk about what you're going through. It was a hard sell. And I don't know why it was a hard sell because this is such a slam dunk concept. But when they allowed me to have that first meeting, I was elated. Oh, that's such a good one. And I'm like, that's going to and has, I'm sure, impacted so many people in such a positive yeah, way. No, it, it, it turned out to be very helpful. It showed in young mom's work. And it's only after that happened did leadership realize that, yeah, you're right, you shouldn't have had to go through all of those hoops to start a small one-hour meeting with them. There are probably a lot of women listening now being like, thank you for, thank you. <laughs> thank you for doing that. And for the second to last question, this is about the title of the show, The Art of Speaking Up. And I love to ask every guest, when you hear that phrase, The Art of Speaking Up, what does it mean for you? For me, it means being able to speak up as your true self without really fearing, without putting on pretenses, without thinking that if I say it this way, it's going to be better or or if I don't say it this way, it's going to be better or worse. It's just speaking your true self the way you wish to speak your true self. And when I don't know if every company or out there is there yet, but I think that should be the target for every company to be able to allow every person to speak speak their mind because it's only through that will we evolve when everybody is able to give their best and their true selves will we all be able to progress if you as a person have this desire to speak out you should do it because if it's not received in a way that you want it to be received or it should be received then you really have to rethink about where you are. Yeah, I agree with that so much. And that brings us to the final question. And this question was inspired by the inspiration for the show. So I went through this period professionally where I was struggling a lot. I did not have a mentor. I felt very alone in that. And I started this show because I wanted to speak to anyone in that place to tell them you're going to be okay. Your potential is limitless. You can do whatever you want, even if things feel very hard in this moment. And so I like to give this last space to the guest to speak directly to anyone listening who either might be in a difficult spot or they're just looking to feel more confident, stronger, more empowered. Sure. Can I tell you a story? Yes. For this. Okay. This is from actually a book that I was reading just yesterday. And I heard this story yesterday. So it's fresh in my mind. And the book is called Flow. Uh, it's Flow Living at the Peak of Your Abilities. And in there, the author tells us a story about how Alex, and it's a fictitious name, but a true story. Alex is uh, born to a very low-income Turkish immigrant family, and they're in the U.S. They've immigrated to the U.S., and they're working really very hard to make ends meet, but they were able to collect 
savings and buy Alex a bicycle, which you wanted so much. And so here is Alex going around, loving his bike, riding it. And then one day he's turning a corner and this car hits him. He's okay. He's got some bruises, but the cycle bicycle is totally wiped out. The driver is a doctor. And so he goes to the family, the parents of Alex, and he convinces them not to call the police or not to report it. And that he, because he's a doctor, he will take Alex to the hospital, get him treated and also pay for a new bike. And the immigrants being the honest, trusting people that they were, the parents, they said, that's okay if you're going to be able to do that. So he did take Alex to the hospital. But when the when he was treated and everything, the parents were given this big bill, a hospital bill. And he had promised free service. He didn't do that. And he did not replace the bike. So the parents came out poorer than they were getting into that hospital. So this is a true story. Now, Alex could have done two things. He could have really spiraled down and said, how did this happen to me? I lost my bike. I'm not going to live in sorrow all my life. Or he did what he did. And he said... I don't like how the poor people are treated. I'm going to do something about it. And so he became a lawyer and then he became a professor of law. And then he was a member of uh, President Truman's cabinet. And he took it upon himself to make sure that the rich are not taking advantage of the poor. And so why I'm saying this story is because everyone has difficulties. That's the way of life. You have to know that there is nobody on earth that will not face difficulties rich or poor. But it's how you come out of it. Are you going to wallow in it? Or are you going to learn something from it and do something about it in a way that it helps you succeed in the future? And I'm glad Alex took the route he took. And I'm, I hope everyone, when they are faced with challenges, take Alex's route as well. I hope so too. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and all of the advice that you shared with us. Jessica, this was such a good conversation. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you so much for listening. I would love to hear what you think of this conversation. Feel free to tag me on Instagram. Feel free to message me or reach out to me. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I love getting your feedback on the show. It means so much to me. I take this show so seriously as a creative output. And so it's always really helpful for me to hear what you're liking and what's resonating. And check out Hamida's show. It is so good. I will link that below in the show notes. Like I mentioned, she hosts such an incredible podcast. And like I said, I was a guest on it. And she was such an incredible interviewer. I had so much fun. So definitely check out Sharing Life Lessons. And if you're interested in private coaching, you can learn more at my website, jessgussetcoaching.com. And remember, if you apply to coach with me by the 15th of January, in addition to your coaching package, you're also going to get a free invite to two free bonus workshops that I will be doing with my coaching clients. I am really excited to lead you through these workshops so that you can feel confident in meetings and really project a strong and powerful voice. And of course, that's a lot of what I work on in my one-on-one work. But when you're learning in a group, it can really enhance your growth. And so I wanted to give you the opportunity when you coach with me one-on-one, not just to get the one-on-one time, but actually have a little bit of time in a group setting to be guided by me and to learn even more. 
If you're interested, I will link my website below and you can learn all about that. And I hope that you're doing really, really well. I hope that this year is treating you well so far. I have so much curiosity about how this year is going to go and when is the world going to go back to normal and when can I hug my friends and be close to them. And if you're wondering the same thing, let's just channel hope and optimism and as much patience as possible. It's been so hard, but I'm just trying to remember that it's going to feel so joyful when we get to have all of these little things back in our lives that I know I for sure took for granted before coronavirus happened. So let's hold the vision for that. I hope you're doing so well. I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And I'll catch you next week for a solo episode. All right. Have an amazing day. Bye.